Super 70 Sports. This is the man. I'm wearing the I'm wearing the trident for you, Kenny. Looks like Seattle Mariners. In it's this a special, place. special day. Everybody's rolling, whoever should be rolling. So, as you know, uh, for loyal listeners, I typically tell a little story about how I've met whoever I'm about to interview and what our relationship is. In this case, I no don't even know his fucking name. Literally don't know his name. Don't want to know. I wanted this to be a journey of discovery. Like sometimes I do a little research just so I'm not messing up and forgetting that so-and-so has a movie coming out or, you know. But generally speaking, I already know the person. I know what they've done. And it's interesting. Just ask questions, have a conversation, not be pre-planned. So my friend Matt Doyle, loyal listener, uh, we can individually name our listeners, but we're growing. Um, I was saying, hey, do you have one of your favorites from this guy we're about to introduce? And he said, dude, the way to find the favorites is which ones did we text to each other? So the man I'm describing runs a very funny um, Twitter account called Super 70s Sports. And he swears a lot, so just be prepared. Um, but that's kind of the punctuation sometimes. You know, sometimes it makes it funnier. And I'm not saying this is his best one, but it, I look through Matt's exchanges with me and this one just stood out because it just, I think it speaks to the comedy pretty well, even though he's done other things that might be funnier objectively or subjectively. Um, and this is a picture of, I believe, an old Kansas City chief. I should, should I know the name? I don't know. You can fill me in if I, if I should have known him. Um, and, and it's a picture of him drinking water, holding his helmet. He's on the bench. And it looks like he's drinking out of a soup ladle, like a big ladle, right? Not not getting it squirted like the players do these days. And it says, when you need to rehydrate during game action, there's nothing as refreshing as well water. Okay, that's funny to me. If it's not funny to you, go fuck yourself, because it's funny to me. I'm introducing Super 70s sports author, whatever his name is. Welcome to the show. <laughs> well, that's quite an introduction, Kenny Maine. I, uh, I'm honored to be the anonymous uh, podcast guest today. I mean, you can tell us if you want. I don't really care. I mean, I care and I don't care at the same time because <laughs> I think it's interesting. For one, where are you? What do you really do? Or maybe this is your full-time job and you're getting paid on the side. Who are you to have created all this stuff? We'll get deeper into how you do it, but Day-to-day, -day, are you like a regular person who has a regular job and you happen to fall into this crazy thing you've been doing on Twitter for quite a while now? Yeah, it's a long story, my friend. You got um, an hour. My name is Ricky Cobb, and I am a college professor from the suburbs of Chicago who started a Twitter account called Super 70 Sports about seven and a half, eight years ago, and it has taken off. And now interesting things happen to me, such as podcast interviews with uh, personalities who really don't know who the fuck I am. So it's, it's been quite a midlife detour. I'll tell you that. But, but that's kind of, I think that adds to the allure of it. Now I do want to know your real name and more about you, but I was just attracted to what you've been doing, you know, I retweeted or I share it with my friends or, you know, it, it's, you're hitting, you're like 90% success rate. That's not 
maybe a hundred. Who the hell knows? I, I haven't seen too many where I'm like, eh, kind of mailed it in today or that one didn't, didn't fly. But more often than not, you're able to take some image, mostly from the seventies, not always. And then have a really funny line that accompanies it. Often it's John Anderson, my, my former colleague at ESPN, we'd every day, one of us would see one of them and you would often puncture this sweet bastard. Uh, for some reason that makes us laugh more than anything, but you have a very clever way about you and you seem to have a deep well of funny pictures or moments in sports history to play off of. So how did you develop that? It really happened by accident. I was on Christmas break from teaching probably, as I said, seven, eight years ago. And I think I was just looking for an outlet, man. College teaching is not the, uh, it's not the most uh, entertaining field to be in. I've, I've put more people to sleep than Ambien and NyQuil combined in my life. So to go from uh, lecturing to a room full of half glazed over uh, kids to suddenly actually entertaining people and people uh, recognizing you is, is tapping into something that they can uh, relate to or that they're getting enjoyment from um, it is, a, is an accident, Kenny. It's really an accident. I was doing it, I think, as an outlet for myself, as a hobby I thought my friends might follow it. Maybe a few other people would find it. I had absolutely zero aspiration that it would turn into something like this. And now here I am years later, and I'm actually pretty close to probably exiting academia in order to try to make people laugh. So it's, um, it's a weird life we live sometimes. I, I'm guessing we're roughly, you're probably younger than I, but you know, if you're so infatuated by the 70s, you might have some deep association with the seventies. How old, how old were you in 1970? <laughs> Zero. I'm a, oh. little, I'm a little young to be the seventies guy. I was going to say that doesn't make, well, I'm not that much older. I was 70. I was 10. So I take it. You were born in 1970. That makes you however the fuck old that is. You're 52 ish or so. ish. Yeah, I'm 51. I was born in 71. So okay. I probably, I probably should have been the eighties guy. Uh, you know, if you're following the timeline of my birth, but for whatever reason, the seventies have always resonated with me. And I always thought that it was just a me thing, you know? Okay. So I, I find the avocado green uh, refrigerators and, and range and washer dryers and, and all the of that station wagons and the state, the Woody station wagons, the, the banana yellow and all of this stuff. I've, thought was just sort of my little weird fetish that I was hung up on the seventies. And to my surprise, I started putting this content out there and there were a lot of people who were uh, quietly, apparently of uh, a similar mindset to me. And so uh, it turned into a following and, and now here we are, but um, as to why it's the seventies, I would just say, go through my timeline for a few days, scroll back. And if it doesn't become clear to you why it's the seventies, then what I do probably just isn't for you. Because I think uh, that period of time, that decade, the aesthetic, uh, where we were culturally in terms of attitudes, parenting, uh, all of it uh, is just sort of a singularly unique time in American history. And 
um, that there's a, there's a lot of material, obviously. I, when I first started doing this, I thought, well, there's a finite amount of seventies and there's a finite amount of sports. And I used to think I was going to run out of material, but, um, I've come to realize that it's, it's, uh, it may not be infinite, but boy, there's still a lot of material to play with. And I don't think I'm close to exhausting it yet. Oh, I, I would, I would say not. Um, what do you teach? What is, what do you, what's your, let me start that again. We're going to edit because Ned, leave it alone. I just sucked. I'm going to admit that I sucked and I'm going to own that. Okay. What is it that you teach? What is your discipline? What are you a professor of? Well, I'll tell you, Kenny, um, I was at Wrigley Field a number of years ago and I had moved down in the ninth inning to like the front row with Bob Euchre and an usher noticed that I hadn't been there until just now. And it's one of those typical, you know, the median age of Wrigley Field ushers is like 88. <laughs> and so the guy ambles over and uh, he says to me, hey, you know, I don't I don't recognize you. And I'm like, yeah, I just came down and my <laughs> the person I was with in an attempt to defend me said it, he's a college professor. And the uh, the usher sort of like looks me up and down and he says, he says, what do you teach? And I said, I teach sociology, sir. And You're studying. Said, you were there yeah, to study an anthropological yeah, yeah. study. Yeah. He said, oh, he said, you mean bullshit. <laughs> so so I teach sociology or as some might call it bullshit. Well, that's like I took a rhetorical theory class at UNLV. I don't remember much about it, but I feel like I got a lot out of it. And maybe, maybe that's what you're doing. Maybe those, I mean, it's, if you had to explain it, right, it's the study of society and like how we interact, what are the things that drive us, et cetera. Am I close? Yeah. It's the study of human social interaction. And I think that a lot of the best comedy is social observation type stuff. It's the reason I like Larry David there was a lot of that in, in what George Carlin did. I, a lot of the comedians that have had the biggest influence on me are really social observers. They're looking at mundane, everyday shit, and they're trying to find where is there a greater truth in there? Where is there something funny? And again, the best comedy is usually funny because there's some element of truth, some sure. element of something that it taps into. And so I think that you know, probably the same thing that made me eventually become a sociologist is is probably part and parcel of uh, how I see the world comedically as well. Did the usher let you stay because of your status <laughs> as a professor? He let me stay. Yeah, I, uh, I we threw the status at him and he was obviously impressed and uh, oh, allowed me to allowed me to stay there for the final three outs of like a, <laughs> an eight to one an eight to one uh, Cubs game in August. That's funny. Um, well, we did the same thing. I grew up South of Seattle. One parent would drop us off or we took a bus or whatever. And then somebody pick us up and we'd go to Sonics games. And this is, you know, I'm junior high, roughly, uh, you know, like age 13 ish, you know, early seventies. And we would buy, I mean, the tickets were different back then. I think you could get in for three bucks, three and a half, whatever for the worst seats in the gym. But we would spend most of the first half scouting, well, did the rich people not show up tonight? And then at halftime, you'd, you'd occupy their seats. And if they, nobody cares, nobody cares. Only suckers stay in their seat unless they 
unless they have a great one. You 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 got to got to look to trade up. That's just hustle. <laughs> I noticed something of an accent. Where were you born? Where did you grow up? I uh, am a Kentuckian uh, by birth and uh, lived there long enough that I, I think the drawl is going to be with me forever. But uh, I've been in I've been in the Chicago area for almost 20 years. So this is this is probably as much accent as uh, I'm going to lose. We just interviewed another great Kentuckian, Rex Chapman, famous basketball player and and he's very active it's funny i've done a series i don't know what order these are running so if we haven't this is a preview if we already did it this is a review but josiah johnson very funny very clever son of marcus johnson which fits for you in the 70s uh he does in a different way than you kind of the same thing he mostly it's it's the the the, the joke the real joke is the video because it applies to the bit that he's doing and he just has this crazy arsenal of ready-to-go memes and, and short videos. And then he just kind of writes one sentence. You know, this is so-and-so looking at so-and-so or whatever whatever his bit is. He doesn't have to – not that he can't write because he's a good writer, but he lets those two parlay off each other. Whereas you'll take the picture and then drop a whole new joke off of it. I mean, you're very similar but slightly different. Yeah, you know, I, I think the the whole thing that has made this take off for me is I people seem to like my voice, I guess, you know, and, and, and I think it's the sort of thing that I could have never planned it out to be popular and have had it go this way. I think the fact that I had no fucking ambition whatsoever and I was just being myself uh provided maybe a certain sense of authenticity or originality yeah. that people just, it was very organic. That's the best part about this is I didn't, I didn't create a character and then try to become popular right. with that stick or anything like that. People responded to it. And obviously I've refined what I do because as I'm doing it every day, I'm probably tweeting 25 times a day on average. I never miss a day. It's a beast that I have created that now I have to feed every day. I'm not complaining. It's, it's an amazing adventure that I'm on, you know, a community college professor, dad of five, 45 years old, completely anonymous guy, uh, sort of emerging with this social media account and people taking notice. I, I'm, I have great gratitude for that every day, but I don't think that this would have ever happened if I had tried to plan it out. Right. I just sort of ended up here in the most natural yet un completely uh, improbable way, I, I suppose, that could have happened. Well, I think... I mean, you're given a lesson there about anything, whether it's sports, the players who play the best are the ones who are comfortable on the field and having fun and right. They're not pressing pick any job, somebody making a sale, right. If they're relaxed in the sales meeting, as opposed to nervous and pressing and playing a role. Right. So I think you're just, that's a model for anything, right. For any success is to be authentic and to be loose. Yeah, a a absolutely. And it's, easier said than done. I guess it's easy to press. There are sure. days occasionally where I start to press a little bit. If I feel like I've tweeted out three or four clunkers uh, mm -hmm. in a row, because as the audience gets bigger, there is, you know, at least I feel a greater pressure to, to, to deliver. 
because guys like yourself, anybody that is passing the tweets back and forth, sharing them, enjoying them, um, there's a certain level of comedy, hopefully, that I've established uh, with the feed and you work in the shadow of what you've previously done, right? So I have to try to continue to live up to that. And uh, it's a challenge and I, and I relish it, but uh, the, the fact that this happened is uh, still mind blowing. I, I, I pinch myself, uh, you know, periodically and I, I'm convinced, Kenny, one day I'm going to wake up from, you know, a COVID coma or something. And I'm going to say, you're not going to believe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I thought I had a Twitter account and I did Kenny <laughs> Mates podcast and he didn't know who the fuck I was. It was incredible. What do your kids think of this, you know, rise and what do your students think? And then attendant to that third question in the middle of a lecture, does something ever hit you? Like I have to put this out right now, class, hold on. I got something really funny to say about a Winnebago or whatever. <laughs> Take well, them in whatever order you want them. I, I, you, I am always thinking, always looking for material. I do maybe not during class, but I will pause at any other time in my life and tweet. I'm tweeting at red lights. Sure. And I'm tweeting. I'm saying, Hey, hang on a second. I just thought of something. If I'm in the grocery store and I see a product and there's something funny about it to me, or it makes me think of something else. I'll tweet that. I remember one time I was going to Taco Bell and I had a thought about the old nine volt batteries that yeah. uh, were in our smoke uh, detectors and how those were the same batteries that you would use to play the Mattel handheld uh, red blip games sure. of, of the seventies. And I actually pulled over to the side of the road because, you know, it's gotta be important if it's more important than a Chalupa, <laughs> and, you know, but I pull over and I have to, I have to, to send that tweet because I don't, I don't want to forget it. I, yeah. I think, I think in a certain sense, it's probably kind of like songwriting. Um, obviously it's, there are many songs, but it, it's, it's that creative process. And I, and I've had a lot of thought over the course of these years, Kenny, about the creative muse, where it comes from. It's, it's mysterious. Some days I get up and I'm every pitch is working I'm spotting the fastball. I'm dropping the curve in for strikes and it's easy. And I'll go through the entire day and go to bed and think, wow, that was, that was awesome. There's other days that you get up and goddamn, I can't think of anything funny, <laughs> but, but there are no days off. So you gotta, so you gotta figure that out. Now those sure. were, you hit, you hit me with about seven. Well, no, the other two were, what did your, your own kids, did they cheer you on like, dad, this is cool. Or like, dad, don't be weird. And then your sociology <laughs> students, hey, can you concentrate on our fucking class? Because, you know, you're having fun and games over there in your, your Twitter handle, but we're trying to learn here. Well, I'll take the college students first. Uh, they, they, don't, they don't know because I told them. Okay. I, don't, I don't talk about it. I don't talk about it with my students. Um, I, you know, my college has been a little bit weird about it. Um, as, as far as that goes. And yeah, so we're about to dump people. that job anyway. So, you know, they yeah, can just yeah, do well, it. So. Yeah, well, I'm, I would only admit that because I, I'm at a point now where I can take it or leave it uh, because I make more money uh, doing this stuff than I, than I make at my day job anyway. But the college has been a little weird about it. I haven't really felt that they uh, 
you know, we're sort of anti-supportive. <laughs> if you want to, you know, this I'll is not becoming way. of a college professor. You know, yeah. are they doing that? Yeah, I, because I, of the I, swearing. I, I, yeah, yeah, I, I've gotten, I've gotten some of that, and I, and I haven't appreciated it very much, uh, to tell you the truth. So I don't talk about it with students. It was never anything that I've ever uh, really broadcasted. But whenever I've had uh, media done about me, uh, you know, I had a feature in the Chicago Tribune a few years ago. They did a feature in the New York Post, and that's that's the angle. People are interested, and I understand why. Like, who the fuck is this guy? Where did he come from? What does he do? You know, who, who, who is he? And so when they find out I'm a college professor, people always kind of want to dig into that. Sure. But it's not anything that I have ever, uh, it's not really anything that I've ever made a big deal out yeah. of myself. But when asked, I, I'm, I'm going to answer just as I'm answering sure. you. So, how, about so your own, how about your own kids? Like my, sometimes it's funny, my daughters think it's cool when it's cool but they think it's not cool when, Oh God, there goes dad telling another story. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. got to play that little balance. Oh, there's, there's lots of times that my kids think that I'm not cool, but fortunately super seventies is, uh, you know, where maybe I redeem myself a little <laughs> bit. Uh, you know, we, uh, one of my daughters was telling me that, uh, just the other day, my 14 year old was saying that, uh, uh, she enjoys, she enjoys repping the brand, you know, she'll go to, she'll go to school wearing her super 70 sports t-shirt and somebody asks her, she'll say, Oh, this is my dad's brand. And, um, you know, I think they're kind of proud of me. Maybe I finally sure. given these kids a reason something, to something to be proud of something, <laughs> something that he's like, well, he was a total asshole, but, but he was he kind of writing of jokes. Yeah. Well, exactly. you mentioned it in a roundabout way, the t-shirts obviously, but what other ways have you monetized the skill you have found yourself to have? Well, you know, predominantly, uh, predominantly that, uh, we have a t-shirt store, super 70, uh, sports store.com. A lot of really niche old school, uh, seventies, eighties, nineties, uh, kind of stuff inspired by sports, inspired by television or movies, uh, the kind of stuff that probably you're not really going to find uh, other places. I, but, you know, thankfully, my audience uh, is such that they get those references. Uh, yeah. it's, not, it's not the kind of stuff that will play well to a to a much bigger crowd, probably. But um, but the loyal followers who uh, love the old TV shows of the 70s and, and things like that, uh, you know, have have been have been great and have been very supportive of that. Um, I'm not really at liberty to talk about everything I have going on, but I That's suppose fine. that it's, I suppose that it is um, uh, fair to say that uh, we're moving beyond Twitter in 2023 and uh, we're in development you know, have some things. Yeah, that's that's exactly right, Kenny. So it's uh, another one of the reasons that I'm looking to make my exit uh, from college because uh, Twitter has been great to me. I'm going to continue doing it. It's it's my bread and butter. It's it's the the it's the girl that uh, I went to the dance with and I'm going to continue to dance with her. But um, there's lots of other opportunities that are that are coming up on the horizon uh, that I'm excited about and I think are are going to hopefully take me, uh, you know, I'm going to do the uh, Thornton Mellon Triple Indy just right into the entertainment industry, uh, hopefully. Why not? 
You know what I find funny about your admiration and celebration of the 70s is so often people like to bag on the 70s. They think that's an easy joke. Oh, the 70s, you know, like that culturally it was this and that. Well, for openers, it was the greatest music decade ever because I can name two of the greatest albums ever. And I would argue as whole Stevie Wonder I'm talking about, right? Music of my mind, talking book, inner visions, fulfilling this first finale, songs in the key of life, secret life of plants. These are my growing up years and I've held on to that. So just Stevie alone makes the seventies, the greatest decade ever. And there were so many amazing things in sports. If you, you know, cause you're directed mostly towards sports. Um, you know, look at the Oakland A's, what they did there. Look at, early Super Bowls, right? Some of the NFL things were happening. Dr. J, I mean, you can go on and on with amazing things that were pretty cool. Okay, we had Nixon, um, we had Vietnam. Um, we were coming out of, you know, a terrible term, tumultuous 1960s period, you know, but it was that in-between decade where a lot of other stuff was pretty damn cool. And it's weird to me that I don't know where people even get that notion. Why do they want to bag on the seventies in the first place? Yeah, it's a great question. And I, I think that that's one of the things that probably sets my, you know, if you want to call it nostalgia, I don't necessarily like to say what I do is nostalgia. I, I told somebody recently that I'm just remixing. Yeah. I'm remixing the seventies is kind of what, what I'm doing. And, and yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that people sort of liked about the account, uh, you know, initially, and I'm sure still, is that I'm very unapologetic about loving the fucking 70s. I, there, there, there's a certain thing sometimes where people talk about the 70s, you know, going right along with what you were saying, Kenny, where it's almost like teehee. This, this is silly, but I, I kind of like this. No, there's nothing silly about it. The 70s were fucking awesome. And I'm not going to apologize to anybody for liking awesome things. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, and yeah, I, I bust the seventies balls uh, every day uh, probably, but I bust those balls, you know, in the way that you bust your friend's balls, right? The seventies are always in on the joke. If I'm mocking the seventies, I'm mocking the seventies the same way that you mock your best friend. But you know, the next minute you got your arm around him and, you know, he's your right. best friend. Well, it's yeah. sort of like you're you're laughing at the imperfections and the innocence and the awkwardness, also celebrating the coolness and the great. And like, it was a whole bunch of things. It wasn't just one thing in the first place. Absolutely. It, 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 you're celebrating the greatness in, a, in an unironic way a lot of the time. Then you are finding the, the unintentional comedy that is always going to happen with the passage of time. There's a lot of absurd things in contemporary society that you and I could point out. Most of them aren't very funny in, in the world that we're living in now. But I absolutely promise you in 10, 20, 30, 40 years, there's going to be all kinds of things about 2022 that we may not see it right now. Or we might see a glimmer of it here and there, but we're not fully seeing it that in retrospect, People are going to laugh at whether it's clothing, whether it's television, whether it's apps, whether it's you can't even predict because I don't know what in 2050 is going to be the gag about 2022. Right. Right. But, but there, but it's going to be there. And so, of course, if we look at the 70s from the mindset of being 
middle-aged guys and we're looking back on our youth, there, there are going to be things that we find about that where we're like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. Look at that. I can't believe that we thought that that was a good idea. But then there's also lots of things that you look back on from the seventies and you think, well, shit, why did it ever change? You know, yeah. maybe, maybe, maybe it wasn't so bad. In fact, you got to remember that just because things change, it's not always progress. Sometimes it is. And certainly there are ways that society has progressed since the seventies, but I think there are other ways that maybe we've lost the plot. And I think it's okay to point that out too. Well, I mean, you don't always, you're called super seventies sports and, I, and I'm going to get into your sports fandom, whatever level that is, but it's also just cultural. Like there were things in the seventies that I can tell you, cause I lived them. We thought were pretty modern and pretty cool. We have a, a phone attached to a wall, but has this fucking 80 foot cord that you can pretty much go into any room and have a private call. Yeah. We thought that was pretty modern. Turns out it wasn't, but at the time it was to, to have the adaptability of, I don't have to have that call in front of my parents in the kitchen. I can walk it into this room and shut the door and I'm still on the phone. And I know that sounds so ridiculous. A lot of people didn't, you had a phone attached to a wall and a dial, not a button. Getting buttons was a big deal. Getting cable in the late 70s where there were wires that ran from the TV across the living room to this thing that looked like a, you had to like shift it to the higher. I mean, there's so many dumb things that were allegedly kind of cool and kind of modern. Looking back now with all the technology we have just on our iPhone, you know, they always say it's the same or more technology than got us to the moon. It's, it's kind of, it's just funny by itself. The joke's already there that how dumb was this in the first place? Yeah. I mean, I, every generation by definition is the most modern mm -hmm. and in the, you're right in the, in the seventies, we just went to the moon, just went to the moon. We're the most went to the modern fucking generation. moon in 69. I was nine years old. I saw it yeah. at uncle Bud's house and you're going to tell me the seventies weren't modern, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin are walking around the moon. They're, they're fucking moonwalking, Kenny. <laughs> and, and, and you're on a, you're on a phone with a cord that stretches all the way across your house. I mean, it, are you expecting it to get better than that? No. So I, I, in the, and the paint was chipped. I remember uh, from my room uh, going out into the hallway, all of the paint was chipped on the corner of the wall. And it was because of me being on the phone with my friends and wrapping that cord around and rubbing it against uh, the wall stretching sure. the cord as far as it would go. And my mom hated that you're chipping the paint off Ricky, but Hey, I, you know, that, that was, that was roaming in our yeah, day. Exactly. What's your personal sports background? Were you an athlete? What were you, who were you, your players, your teams? Like you could have said super seventies culture, but you didn't sports being kind of linchpin. Then you branch out from there. Yeah, Kenny. I mean, I hate to come in and drop the credibles on you, but uh, three three time uh, Little League Baseball All Star right here, motherfucker. Not bad. Yeah, yeah, three times. What position? Uh, uh, second base, a uh, little bit of first base, uh, some outfield. I was a utility guy. I was kind of a Tony Phillips. This this uh, is like age 10, 11, 12 ish. Yeah, 10, 11. And this 12 is in Kentucky. This is in Kentucky at Brian Doyle Ballpark. In Good. Cave City, Kentucky. Do you remember Brian Doyle? He was a an unlikely hero uh, of the nineteen seventy eight oh, World Series. Yes, it's games. coming back. It took me when you said that. Yeah. Then I, okay, it took me a minute to piece it, but I wouldn't have had that. You would have had to give me a multiple choice. I wasn't going to get that just in a 
in an yeah. essay form. Yeah, he was like a career 180 hitter uh, over maybe parts of three seasons. But Willie Randolph was hurt during the playoffs in 78. The the year, of course, that they chased the Red Sox down and mm-hmm. and Bucky fucking Dent yep. uh, went, went over the monster. And uh, after the Yankees won the World Series, we had a parade in Horse Cave, Kentucky. As well you should. Uh, yeah, it's big. I mean, that's it. Horse Cave is still waiting for the for the next big moment. Wait, um, what's the closest bigger town to where you grew up? Um, I was about de- depending on how you define bigger. Well, you know, I'm, Lexington, Louisville. You know, give me give me one of those. Yeah, I was about seventy five miles south of Louisville, about okay. about halfway, roughly equidistant between Louisville and Nashville. If you're going down, yeah, I was going to say you're down toward Tennessee almost. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, down down in the down near Mammoth Cave National Park. If you have any uh, conception I, of where that is, I know is. the name. I've never been there. Have you ever been to the Olympic or Mount Rainier out out west, where I'm from? I I have not. You need to not. journey. You need to make that journey. All right, back to your childhood. So you're pretty good little leaguer. Did you continue? Did you play in high school or college or anything like that? I did not. Uh, I did not play formal sports uh, beyond little league. Um, a lot of a lot of lifetime wiffle ball homers. Of course, uh, you know did a lot of my oh, lives. Sorry to interrupt again, but my dear friend Mark Sansiver, who lives in Wolf Point, Montana, I've mentioned this only like two thousand times. In nineteen seventy-two, you were just born, I guess, right? That's in nineteen seventy-two, right. the summer of seventy-two. We kept stats. We would play wiffle ball from, you know, dawn to, to dusk pretty much. And we would keep stats and then, you know, file it away and, you know, you accumulated all these numbers. Mark broke Babe Ruth's home run record in one summer. We had to discount a bunch of the home runs because a few times we ran out of the skinny yellow bats because they broke or whatever. Um, and and there's a fat bat that was sitting around, you know, as a backup. But those don't count. You either play the game right or you don't play at all. And... He hit something right. like 780. He just hit an incredible amount of home runs because he would have 10 and 20 home runs in one day, right? We played all day long. Right. Oh, this was my childhood. I'll tell you this. I, I, I had 67 one year and I followed it the next year with 73. That's so, so you bonds know, bonds, yeah, I had 73 before bonds. He, he do, broke. You rec- do you recognize Henry Aaron as the all-time home run leader or Barry Bonds? <sighs> Well, Kenny, I'm a Henry Aaron guy. Same. We would get really lost trying to solve that whole thing, but I got to meet Henry Aaron, and I told him that, and it felt so good to tell him, sir, you're the home run champ. It felt good to say, this is really abstract. Yankee Stadium, all-star game, last all-star game they held before they took down Yankee Stadium and built the new one, and I'm playing in the little softball thing they had on the Sunday night, and this kid, you know, I think – they were just desperate at that point. Any autograph was better than none because all the players had kind of vacated. Some little kid, his dad, probably, oh, that's the sports center guy. And he hands me this ball. And I, I, sure, I'll sign, you know, I mean, whatever. If, if you think it means something to you, I'll sign it. I look on the ball. It says Willie Mays. Turn it aside. Henry Aaron. Turn it the other way. Ken Griffin. Somebody, right? It's like, dude, I'm not going to do I can't Give me a scrap of paper. Like, I won't do that to you. I, I know what my signature would do to devalue that ball. And I didn't want to do that to that kid. So I really feel like I gave back to that kid in society really in, in one fell swoop. <laughs> that reminds me of something that Gorman Thomas told me. 
he said that a lady came up to him and wanted him to sign a ball that had uh, Mickey Mantle and Joe DiMaggio's <laughs> signatures on it. And he actually refused to sign it. He said, ma'am, right I, I just, I can't, I can't do this now. Why? And Gorman Thomas, one of the nicest he was guys. A decent player too. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. He was, he really was two, two time American league home run champ. Yeah. But, uh, Joe D. So yeah, you, uh, you did, you did the classy thing. Yeah. So. I hope the kid, you know, has the ball in a special place with those good guys. I got a Gorman Thomas for you. Cause he played for the Mariners. Some, this is back when I was just starting in TV. I wasn't on TV yet. I, for the first couple of years, three years, I guess I was a little of everything. I wrote, the national news stories for the anchors. Cause that's really what my interest was more politics and history, um, political affairs. And I also produced the shows, right. It was like a 10 o'clock news an hour ahead of the rest. And I was sometimes the fill in producer, like had to back time the show and you had to decide on the, the structure and all that. One night we were a small station, a little independent station in Tacoma, everything crashed. Like all the tape machines die, everything. We can't do anything except be on TV and talk. That's all we had. Cal Glomstad, the sports guy's up at the Mariner game to do the live post-Mariners big scope to Cal after the game, right? He ended up interviewing Gorman Thomas for 37 minutes. Keep going. Ask him another question. You know, I'm in his ear telling him, we have nothing else. You're, you're, you're all we got. We learned a lot about Gorman Thomas that night. A lot of Gorman Thomas stories. He didn't tell that story, so I don't know if it happened before yeah. or after. All right, I want to get into your method. Like, again, I brought up Josiah Johnson, similar act on Twitter. He told me, basically, he's always searching. He's all, okay, this is pretty fun. One day I will use this thing. Are you constantly like, oh, my God, that's the funniest picture of an Amana freezer from 1973 I've ever seen. One day I'll have a joke for that. So do you sit on a big pile of, of, of ready-to-go material? I, I wish that I had a big pile of uh, ready to go material. Now, sometimes when I've done a lot of work, I'll have a pile for a while, but I tweet so goddamn often, Kenny, that it's hard for me to keep the silo full of grain. So I'm, but I'm always looking, always looking. And I, and again, anybody listening to this that's a follower of Super 70 wants some nominations, send me, send me the weird shit that you find. If you see something and you think the super seventies guy might be able to do something with it, I welcome it. You know, I'll take the, I'll take the assist because I, I think the hardest part of what I do is simply finding enough material that I can work with in the way that I want to, in order to keep populating right, right. the feed. That is, that's the greatest challenge. The, the, the comedy part of it, you know, I suppose the, the, the wit or being clever or just naturally having sort of a comedic sensibility, that part of it is probably a talent or a gift or however you want to look at it. But the, the tweeting every day, you're just, you're just honing that skill, honing that skill, honing that skill, because uh, I, I think that, you know, comedians and comedians that are much better than I I think that a lot of them, they're not in a position where they're real, where they're trying to be funny literally every day of their life, pretty much from the time they get up until the time they sure. go to bed. They work up their material. You know, you're talking about stand-ups. 
you, you take a great stand-up. They'll, they'll write a new act. They'll take it out to some clubs. They'll just sort of workshop it in small rooms, see what works, see what doesn't. Once they get their act together, they'll take that out on the road, maybe get their Netflix special out of it. And yeah. then they can, they can take a break for a while, you know, <laughs> until it's time to do it again. I, 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 I can't, I can't do that, or at least I don't perceive that I can. So I'm constantly, constantly Looking. running. And so you got to keep, you got to keep filling that timeline with something, right? So absolutely material is, is king. And I am always digging. I tell people that I probably have the weirdest, may, maybe the most off-putting non-pornographic browser history of any, of any man mm -hmm. in America, because I, people say, how do you find this? And I think lots of times people think that I have some sort of portal to content that's not available to the rest of us, but it's, it's really just a matter of rolling up your sleeves and being willing to Google William Shatner, sex toy, 1985 Buick yeah. Dodgers. Well, to that point, I think it's not always really from the seventies. You might, you might grab something and, and, and take it back in time that it could have been in the seventies or that figure was from the seventies. Right. So it's not perfectly from seven Oh to, you know, January or December 31 of 79. Right. The, the name of the feed, if I had known what it was going to eventually become, I would have given it a different name probably because super 70 sports is it, it's a little bit misleading. Although yeah. I think you, although I think you get it. You followed, sure. you followed it enough that you understand that the 70s is always kind of going to be part of the foundation. Sports is always going to be a big part of the feed. 70s sports is going to show up every day. But it's really sort of evolved into more of a mindset. Right. Maybe. It's a, it's, exactly. It's a feeling. It's, it's a what feeling. that it's if if something from the 70s sports is funny, something else attendant you know, slightly related is still, it, it counts. It's exactly. like house rules and Scrabble. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and it started, it's it, that evolution was as organic as the, the fact that I sort of fell, fell into this because reading 70 sports stuff every day is what I, that's what I began with. That's what I was doing in the beginning. Every tweet was about 70 sports, right? Once you've tweeted about, 70 sports a hundred times in a row you realize and particularly as a as a comic which i do consider myself a comic although i think what i do sort of makes me hard to label for people yeah. because it's kind of just like okay who the fuck are you what are you kind of a hybrid do do? yeah it's a hybrid it's sort of and i'll take that as a compliment when people yeah. don't quite know how to label me because it must mean that i'm doing something that's that's original yeah i've but, well i've noticed more than once you'll get the comment, hey, your stuff's really funny, but why do you have to swear so much? And usually come back with, good point, go fuck yourself. Like, you, <laughs> yeah. you have a joke for that as well. I'm not yeah. bothered by it. I mean, I'm going to swear on this show. Like, I, I think you just have to get the art of what you're doing to see why saying that sweet bastard, why that made it funnier, right? Yeah. It's 
always funny. It's more than once reference. You call them lung darts. You're speaking of cigarettes. A, are you a smoker or a reformed non-smoker that you quit? And, you know, it's not smoking and the things that happen for doing it aren't funny, but you do it in a way that finds the dark humor in it. Like, you know, your dad sucking on a, on a lung dart while using his right arm as a seatbelt, right? That might, that's what my dad did. Yeah, that's right. And I am, I am not a smoker. Uh, apart from uh, giving it a little bit of a half-hearted try when I was in college, I've I've never been I've never been a smoker um, of tobacco. Um, I am I am a smoker of of cannabis uh, sometimes, but safer I, than alcohol. Yeah, I I I agree. I drink a lot less when I when I discovered uh, cannabis. My alcohol consumption went down literally about ninety percent. Do you ever drunk tweet? <laughs> I I don't drunk tweet, but I high tweet all the time. I high tweet probably at least virtually every day. Is it legal uh, in Illinois? I don't even know. It it is. Yeah, it's legal. That's one of the that's one of the handful of things that makes Illinois tolerable. It's kind of crazy that something that in the seventies, I, I forget when did Reefer Madness come out? Was that in the seventies? I can't remember. Uh, I think Reefer Madness came out in the thirties. The original. Oh, the original i thought they did like a remake maybe i'm wrong i thought there was like a new version of the same thing but yeah i mean the fear of what you know this horrible plant would do to society and so i remember being at a pearl jam concert and 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 washington state had recently passed the marijuana legislation and eddie vetter gets up there and and he just like just said true things you know he's just like Hey, we passed that law. Is everybody doing okay? He's mocking, you know, that society would fall apart. We're all still going to our jobs, right? We're all, everybody doing their, it didn't change. It, all it did is create a new tax base, really. And it's not like everybody got corrupted overnight because suddenly now this rather harmless thing, you know, was legalized. Well, I'll tell you what got me. I hadn't smoked pot since college, apart from, apart from like maybe a couple of puffs off of other people's joints, literally a couple of different occasions over a period of maybe 20 years until I went to Denver in 2017. That was the first time that I had ever been anywhere where it was legal. And I tried it there, enjoyed it, looked around and realized that Denver wasn't in flames. Right. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a, a war zone. It, it, it wasn't like Mad Max or anything. And I went to uh, Seattle the, the following year in 2018, and it was legal there by then. You should and stop so by. I part, I, well, the next time I'm in town, but you gotta, you gotta remember my name though. I, yeah, you know, I, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. You know, um, you've, you've mentioned comics more than once, and, and we left out Johnny Carson, um, Richard Pryor, George Carlin. There's so many things. I've seen a lot of Carlin in particular with regard to a lot of issues, political and social, that we're facing right now. And it's like, oh, my God, this guy, like, he was forecasting the future, arguing the same arguments they're arguing now. And Carlin gave us all the truth 50 years ago. Yeah, he did. That, that kills me by itself. I mean, it's not not that, you know, it's the old when you don't learn from history, you know, it repeats itself and all that. But, man, he he spoke really bluntly. And I don't know how much of 
of his work that you studied, like how much that influenced you? Is he the one or is it somebody else that maybe, you know, infused what they had to say that you kind of adopted? Well, I think that I've probably taken elements from a variety of influences. I, David Letterman, you mentioned Carson. Carson was a big influence on me. I grew up watching Carson and watching Carson's comedy classics uh, in syndication. Uh, So I was getting like reruns of bits that he had done, uh, you know, before my time. Uh, I was a huge David Letterman guy in the 80s. Sure. I I thought late night with David Letterman, mid 80s Letterman. I, he was doing things that you might look back at it now and it, some of it might not seem like it was that revolutionary oh, at but, the time. It definitely was, but how about his morning time, show? How about his morning show in 1982? I think it was. Wow. Yeah. You're short lived. Really, yeah. Well, I know because I know where I was, I know where I was and I was watching it those morning. It was a morning show and it was yeah. just too avant-garde for, Network television, you know, it's just too far. They, they, why why is this happening at 9 a.m.? People forget that, you know. I mean, Dave obviously had an unbelievable career, but by the time that he was at CBS, he had settled into, you know, he's into the 25th, 30th year of uh, of doing that stuff. And Mm -hmm. he was obviously mega famous. He made his fortune and he was at a different stage in his career, but. The kinds of things he was doing when he first came onto the scene, it was really brave comedy. I mean, oh, it, sure. it could have gone the other way for him very easily. But but again, he was original. He was uh, he was he was doing Dave, and people got it, and he became popular as we were kind of alluding to earlier. He became popular for the right reason. Yeah, Letterman was a huge influence. I was just going to go into a couple of other influences. Carlin certainly, Richard Pryor. Um, maybe my favorite stand-up of all time is Dave Chappelle. Um, even though he's, you know, obviously a, a contemporary uh, figure, but I think that we all, I think any of us probably, I, I mean, I don't know what your background is with, with your career. I don't know who the influences were, but I'm sure that there must've been a handful at least of influences that, uh, their fingerprints are maybe somewhere on the Kenny Main style. Oh, for sure. I mean, and also people close to you that people don't know. I've already mentioned a bunch, Carson being a key one. Um, but but cartoons, I think people forget how funny, A, how, a, how funny they were and maybe what an influence it had. The Bugs Bunny Hour, Bullwinkle. <laughs> like, there's so many crazy funny stuff things that you know i was watching from six years old probably up to high school i was still watching saturday morning cartoons like they're still funny get smart um you know there's just the, the list is long bob newhart carol burnett oh yeah my dad my uncle my best friends uh, my sister's boyfriend sometimes like you become what you're surrounded by and all of it had its i i've said this also, I repeat sometimes on the show, and I have no idea how many times, but I always say what I ended up doing as a career is the same thing that got me kicked out in fifth grade into the hall, right? Like some there's a thing, something's going on, and my mind says, say this really quick because that's going to be the funniest thing to be said, yeah. something absurd. Some people are going to like it. Some people are going to think you're weird, and the teacher might be pissed off. Like all those things might happen, but 
prank phone calls. We were huge on that. We would call up and pretend to be the local radio station with the cash call jackpot and completely fool a citizen grabbing their name out of the phone book back when you used the phone book to call. Yeah. And I'd put on my big, this is a battle day from KJR Radio. You know, you do a fake voice. And it was crazy how many times you could fool people. And it worked on my communication skills. Yeah. And there was no way that they could trace it back to you really. No. Either. We had anonymity. The greatest uh, one was, then. I would say, uh, the jackpot is between $400 and $500. And they'd say, uh, $489. <laughs> and I'd say, did you say $479? And they'd say, yes, I'm sorry. It was 489. <laughs> it's like the social experiment, which maybe you've talked about. You probably talk about ways to, you know, measure how people react to different things. The old $20 bill on the street or on the counter. or And yeah. you watch, what do people do? Do people grab it and look around? Or do people report it to the waiter? Or, you know, right? There's funny little societal things that happen every day like that. And I think that probably a lot of what made me the super seventies guy is the same thing that made me the kid that made two D's and two F's my junior year of high school. The same kid that some of my friends, I think thought that I wasn't thought that I wasn't going to graduate with them because my grades were so bad. But, but Kenny, I was in high school reading the USA today and the Louisville courier journal and I can tell you people, sometimes I don't think people believe me when I say this, but I, but I say this quite literally, I never took a textbook home my entire high school career, four years, not once every day when I left school, all my books were, were in the locker. I don't care how many exams there were the next day. I don't care what assignments were due. I never took a book home every morning. I would go, I dropped 50 cents in the USA today. Uh, machine, get the USA Today out. We had a subscription to the Courier Journal. So I already grabbed that out of the, out of the box at home uh, as I was leaving the driveway. And I would fold those papers up. I would take them to school and I would fold them in such a way that I could read the paper while my teachers were teaching. And so I, I couldn't have predicted it, but it turns out all these many years later that what I was doing then was Given myself an education in pop culture and education in sports and the real world education in the real world. Exactly. And so the, I feel like it was kind of a W for me, you know, because I look back and I remember my teachers and I remember Caverna high school and I remember the classes and I think to myself, whatever they were saying, my time was better spent right reading the USA <laughs> today. And so I kind of look at my life today and feel justified. Oh, I was a huge newspaper, still am not as much. I'm, you know, more electronic now, but I mean, getting a letter published in the San Francisco Chronicle when I was in high school, that, or, I'm sorry, in college, that was like the greatest feat I could imagine. Like they read what I wrote and it was good enough to stick in a newspaper. Yeah. But I, I, I had a job when I went to UNLV, I played football there and got a job that first summer right and spent probably five of the eight hours working reading news because we were waiting for the truck to show up which we would offload and you know take the pairs wherever they belonged but the rest of the time i was reading the la times san francisco chronicle las vegas review journal las vegas sun uh usa was usa today even out then i don't know i was reading anything that was in front of me and i always tell people like young kids especially who want to be sports tv or whatever 
It's like, yeah, don't just read sports. Like, try to have a wider base, right? Read everything. Read the editorials. Read, you know, fiction. Read nonfiction. Read politics. History. That ends up giving you, and I think you've proved it, a greater arsenal with which to use at the time you're going to create and disseminate whatever the hell it is, right? Yeah, I, I, I'll give you an amen to, to what you just said. And I would say, get that information from as many different perspectives and sources as you, you can. Yeah. Uh, read, read things even that while you're reading it, you're thinking to yourself, well, this is bullshit, but read it, absorb it. Try to understand where other people are coming from, even if you disagree with them, because I think in the long run, it gives you a, a, a more deeper, a, yeah. a deeper three dimensional yeah. uh, view of what's going on in the world rather than just taking things at face value as so many of us do. Yeah. I mean, I, I do that pretty often. I've, it's pretty clear where I come from looking at my Twitter about uh, my political views but sometimes I'll see something even from someone who you think is kind of, oh, he's on your side of this argument. And it's like, wait a minute, that doesn't read right. Like, and I love that my daughters, one's college graduate, one's a senior at Boston U, one's a sophomore at USC, and we got one in high school, um, how they're smart enough to know, oh, that thing somebody sent me on Facebook, that, that doesn't read right. There's, I better Google and get more, because too many people are, or, and sometimes people are just literally reading the headline and that's fact. I'm going with that one today. I'm going to punch it 200 times and tell all my friends. And yep. dude, that's not even true. That's the, that's the downside of social media as well is people are, people are lazy. They get a, a piece of information. And of course, you know, you're more, you're more probably uh, will readily believe uh, something if it's something that you want to believe. Yes as well. So, you know, sometimes I think people just, they skim something. They're like, okay, this person I don't like did a bad thing. Fuck that guy. And <laughs> they're ready to share it because, yeah. you know, they're, they're they worked up. right. But just because you don't like somebody doesn't mean that this particular news item is correct, yeah. factual, whatever. So yeah, there's critical thinking. I, you know, we, we live in a time, Kenny, not to go college professor on you here. I don't want to go the full sociology. No, dude, it's appreciated. But, but we live in a time where information is more abundantly available than at any time in human history by far, right? I mean, Gutenberg invented the printing press in the 1400s. I don't even know what communication was like going, you know, the further back you go in history, people probably didn't know very much that was going on outside of their, their village or their yeah. town. But we live in a world where uh, a jabroni like me can pick up my phone and I can just tweet out whatever's on my mind. And it's going out to, you know, over 600 8 billion people, people, 8 billion yeah. people potentially. And then it's getting passed around and, yeah. and, and, and circulating. And so we, but what concerns me about it is, is we live in a time where there is more information available than ever before. And our information literacy is very concerning yeah. well, in a lot of cases. Part of it is we used to have some agreement on basic facts. One plus one is two. Now we can't even agree on that, that up is down and down is up. And then each side that wants to believe up is up or down is down, you know, you know what I'm getting at. Here's That's a question right. for you. Do you have any issues on uh, the legality of what you put out? Do you ever have to worry about somebody owns that picture 
and I'm reappropriating it, do you, do you need to credit people or, you know, like, do you ever run into that issue? Um, very rarely, uh, very rarely. If, uh, if anybody, you know, ever says like, Hey, take that down or whatever, then I take it down immediately yeah. and say, Hey, sorry, no offense intended, but 99.9999999% of the time, uh, no issues whatsoever. And if there ever is something where somebody is like, Hey, that particular photo or whatever, I'm, I'm, I'm always going to politely, uh, comply with, with that request in, in quick fashion. You know, the last thing that, the last thing that I'm here to do is to, um, uh, offend anybody or, uh, do anything that upsets anyone. You know, I'm, I'm here to try to entertain and, and social media, the, the way Twitter is constructed, people are just sharing pictures and videos and things all day. And probably almost a hundred percent of the things that get shared are not being shared by the, by the, the, the right. person who took right. the photo or whatever. So I think, you know, I think it's a different case in terms of um, uh, writing a book or something like that. There have been some conversations of people coming to me and saying, well, you know, you should do a book of tweets. And I think that kind of thing, I think, you know, putting it in book form and, you know, sending it out there to, to make money in that form, that might be a, that might be a little different animal. So, uh, you, you, you know, you'd have to get into uh, the issues with that with publishers, which, which probably I'm going to be getting into uh, uh, eventually, because I do think there's an appetite uh, okay, sure. for, for seven's book. <laughs> yeah, the best exactly. of. Um in closing, because I want to keep uh, our commitment to about the time we said, you asked earlier for your listeners, your your uh, your consumers to maybe throw you some idea. I think you could make, hey, and I, maybe I've missed, you know, I don't see all of them. I think you got 70s cartoons we already spoke about. Johnny Carson might open the door to some things. Like, there's that. I've seen you use Carson, but there's, there's just a whole wealth. Even if you've used the figure once, there's another way to use it twice. Ed McMahon, you know, laughing at a Johnny joke. There, there's always going to be something, but just the 70s are pretty rich. I'm glad I grew up in them because, people, you know, who doesn't want to be younger? But I'm always like, yeah, but I am what I am because of what I lived through. Like I, all the stuff I saw in my life, I'm kind, it's kind of cool that I saw it, you know, that I experienced it. You're a little bit younger, but you're going back to my decade, which I appreciate. And what the fuck is your name again? <laughs> I love that. That's the, that's the best wrap up of any podcast I've ever done uh, in my life. And I've done many. My name, sir, is Ricky Cobb. That's Ricky Cobb, yeah. a professor of sociology and an entertainer of uh, infinite value on the internet via Twitter and looking to do even more things. I appreciate that you joined us. I appreciate that you wore a Seattle Mariners hat. Go Mariners. And uh, thanks for all your time. Kenny, thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. I've, I've been a big fan of uh, your stuff for, for a lot of years. I enjoy your presence on Twitter, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Hey, Maine is a production of me, Kenny Maine, and Odyssey. Our senior producer is Paul Aspen. Our executive producer is Jody Avergan. And our executive producer for Odyssey is Lena Glazer. If you like our show, please rate us, leave a review, and don't forget to subscribe.